We're studying the gospel of God's grace here on Search for Truth. Many thanks for tuning in. It's great to have you with us. And our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, has another talk in our present series and the letter of Paul to the Christians in Galatia is the main basis for our study. This time, Brian focuses on the faithfulness of Christ. So, over to you, Brian. Thanks, John. Yes, Paul's been talking about Jewish believers having the status of mere minors during their Judaism phase of existence. And by that Judaism phase of existence, we mean while they serve God under the law given through Moses until Christ came. It's during that gap from Moses to Christ that they were considered minors. But what do we mean by that? We mean that their status back then was compared by Paul with that of a household slave whose education was being supervised by a family employee. But it was always in God's overall plan that the law should be given before Christ came. In chapters 3 and 4 of Galatians, we read about God giving his promise to Abraham, then giving his law through Moses, and then giving his son Jesus, and finally he gave his Holy Spirit to reside in all New Testament believers in Christ. This is the orderly, planned giving of a truly great giver. Today, the study of the Old Testament law shouldn't be ignored by Christians, for although it's now fulfilled in Christ, its importance lies in us seeing that it always was like a prison where all humanity lay convicted of sin. And secondly, it always was to be like a personal tutor to bring people to Jesus, the great liberator from that prison where all were trapped by their own sin. In working our way through Galatians, we've been picking up Paul's emphasis on the faithfulness of Christ, God's Son. How wonderful to see it set out so fully that it's the faithfulness of Christ that's made all the difference, freeing us, justifying us and adopting us as sons to God. Let's now hear what Paul says as we begin chapter 4 of Galatians. He says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things, to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years." Paul informs us there that when the faithfulness of Christ was manifested, as had been promised before the law was given, Jewish Christian believers finally attained their majority status. They came of age, as it were, with the granting of full sonship through adoption. As we move into chapter 4 of Galatians, Paul maintains the theme of how believers become sons of God, with our adoption having past, present and future implications. Before going on to talk further about the believer's adoption, 
It may be as well to make a comment about Paul's reference to elemental things, which was repeated in that Bible section that we've just completed from the top of Galatians chapter 4. One Bible scholar, F.F. Bruce, made the suggestion that this might have been a reference to celestial bodies. Throughout history, pagans often worshipped objects in the heavens, the stars and the planets seen in the sky. Bruce suggests it was, in one sense, even possible for monotheistic Jews to return to that. But that would only be true in the sense that these objects lay behind the defining of the days, months, seasons and years which they tended to hold in too high a reverence. But be that as it may, we want now to explore what the Bible says here about our adoption in a spiritual sense. We've already seen that we're all sons of God through faith, Galatians 3.26. And the Bible here has informed us that each believer on Christ has received the spirit of adoption. That's a reference to God's Holy Spirit, who indwells in us as the spirit of adoption from the moment we put trust in Christ for eternal salvation. Among the wonderful blessings which our salvation has brought us is the fact that we've been placed in the unalterable position of being joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8 verse 17 spells that out. We are forever those who have been adopted as sons to God through Jesus Christ. That placing of sons, as we say, took place at our conversion, and so it's in the past. But Paul also deals with our present experience as believers. Remember, only Paul uses this word adoption in the New Testament scriptures. And in Romans 8 and verse 14, he says, As many as are led by the Spirit are sons of God. At first, this seems to be saying that we need to know the Holy Spirit's leading daily in our lives for us to qualify as sons of God. But when we compare Scripture with Scripture, and recall again Galatians 3 and 26, which says that we are all sons of God through faith, we realise that that can't be right. All believers are sons of God by virtue of the faithfulness of Christ. All of us who believe in Christ alone for salvation are children of God by birth, the new birth, and we're equally sons of God by adoption. And if we live by the Spirit, what happens is we actually make it plain in our lives that we are sons of God. If we're Spirit-led in what we say and do in serving the Lord, it becomes obvious to those around us that we are truly sons of God. That leads us into considering our lives of service for God in a bit more detail then. If we take the Church of God at Corinth, we find Paul applying one of God's Old Testament commands in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, Be separate and be to me sons. It seems this is another case of the Spirit of God appealing to believers to become what they are. This is an interesting quote. At least it appears to be a quotation from the second book of Samuel, chapter 7 and verse 14, when the prophet Nathan came to King David after he'd expressed a desire to build a temple that is a house on earth for the God of heaven. And through Nathan, God says to David, I will raise up your descendant after you. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. We know that God regarded the whole of Israel as his son. 
He declared through Moses to Pharaoh, Israel is my son, my firstborn. But here, and all bound up with the idea of the building of God's house, God reinforces the thought of sonship specifically for Solomon, the king of David's dynasty or royal line. By carrying out God's purpose in the building of his earthly house, Solomon would characterise and give full expression to the special relationship God intended all Israel to enjoy. So he's affirmed as being a son to God. Notice the force of the word being. He will be a son to me, God said. Imagine a human family, if you will, where the father is never at home. A son growing up in that family might find a role model in some other adult male figure. If this proved to be a good influence, others might even say that man is more of a father to him than his real father. You see, there's such a thing as acting in a way that's consistent with what we are. In that sense, being a son to God carries us into the idea of our behaviour being exactly what it should be for those who are already sons of God. And remember, that's precisely what God says through Paul to those in the church of God at Corinth. You shall be sons and daughters to me. Notice how the context in the New Testament agrees fully with the Old Testament context in terms of the building of God's house. How is that, you ask? Well, remember, Paul's writing to the church of God at Corinth, and earlier he's described them as being God's building when calling on each in the church to be careful how he or she builds. So once again, it's God's people who are being addressed, and it's about building for God in the house of God, which is the Bible-wide theme that lies close to God's heart, a theme that goes beyond our salvation and into the realm of our lives of service for God. To have a place in God's house demands of us that God's requirements are met. Just as all Israel could be regarded as God's son, but the one among them who fulfilled God's will fully in building a house for God was singled out as being a son to God. So today, all believers in the Lord Jesus are sons of God through faith, but we demonstrate our sonship best by active service in relation to serving God's will in God's house. And what does the future hold for us as sons of God? To discover more, we need to come back again to Romans chapter 8. Let's read from verse 19 to get the full sense. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Paul begins there by mentioning the anxious longing of creation as it eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. The future events eagerly awaited when the sons of God are to be revealed, begin with the change in the physical bodies of all believers at the return of Christ for the church which is his body. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, at that time the dead in Christ will rise, 
and we who remain alive then will be changed and caught up together with them to meet our Lord in the air. What a glorious moment that'll be. Our adoption will then be complete in every sense, our physical bodies then reflecting our status as sons of God. As Paul says, we eagerly wait for this, don't we? just heard is one of the most popular in modern times and it's got a wonderful last verse when christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then shall i bow with humble adoration and then proclaim my god how great thou art will jesus christ take you home to heaven too i wonder i do hope you know the joy and eternal security that comes from having faith in christ And in connection with these talks, there's a transcript book for all the talks in this series. It's available free on request by asking for the title, The Gospel of God's Grace. And you can order by email or by post. And here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You might be interested to know that many different titles of Search for Truth transcript books have been made into e-books and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash kindle hyphen e-books. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and uh, then they should appear. So I hope you've enjoyed today's study and many thanks once again for the privilege of your company. So next week, we've got another talk about the gospel of God's grace, and we look forward to you joining us if you can. But for now, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our technician David, our singers, and me, John. So cheerio, and may God richly bless you. Amen.